New York City is sort of a blue bastion, which, you know, I'm by no means saying it isn't. However, there is an ascendant kind of wing of people who are in what one might call the MAGA camp in general, i.e., you know, Trump supporters probably, but also more broadly in line with kind of the the new right, the alt-right to some extent, uh, of, you know, election denialism, vaccine skepticism, and kind of wars over education and culture and that sort of general milieu of, of issues. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda-Silgado. When many people think of the MAGA movement's followers, they likely picture rural conservatives in southwestern or Rust Belt states, or maybe New Yorkers on Long Island or upstate. But that's not necessarily the case. While New York City itself remains a blue bastion, the movement has made inroads. In fact, former President Donald Trump actually did better in New York City in 2020 than in 2016. The city council's GOP block grew too. And beyond the electoral matters, far-right and even explicitly white nationalist organizing has blindsided many of us across the city. Journalist Felipe de la Oz, who recently wrote about the rights of MAGA in New York, says that all of this is both puzzling and concerning for New Yorkers who see a rising tide of what seems like a dangerous and aggressive form of anti-democratic thought. Today, Felipe and I discuss why we're seeing this shift. So, I'm Felipe Delos. I am an editorial board member of the New York Daily News, a professor at CUNY and NYU, contributor to the URL newsletter and various other publications, as well as my own newsletter, Borderlines, which comes out weekly and covers federal immigration policy. Getting to the topic of your article, from what I understood, like a lot of people in New York City think that you won't really find a lot of Trump supporters here, but um, you mentioned that in the 2020 election showed otherwise. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And did Trump do better in the 2020 election compared to the 2016 election? He did, yeah. And I think a lot of people think of uh, New York City as sort of a blue bastion, which, you know, I'm by no means saying it isn't. However, there is an ascendant kind of wing of people who are in what one might call the MAGA camp in general, i.e., you know, Trump supporters probably, but also more broadly in line with kind of the the new right, the alt-right to some extent uh, of, you know, election denialism, vaccine skepticism, and kind of wars over education and culture and that sort of general milieu of of issues that are kind of animating this new um, right-wing movement. What consequences did the, the results of the election have on city council? Um, I mean, the the Republican majority expanded, not dramatically so, but it almost doubled because it went from three to five. Of course, that's still a, a small number within the 51-member city council. However, you know, it gave them a lot more power over certain proceedings, for example, redistricting. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the city council specifically, it demonstrated also this kind of the power of this new right because the candidates that did win weren't necessarily kind of buttoned up conservative types of the, you know, the sort of Republicans that might have existed in New York at an earlier time. But there were some there were other prominent Trump supporters, of course, Joe Varelli, now the Senate, I mean, the, the city council minority leader was already, a, you know, a prominent Trump circuit, but you also have uh, people like Ina Vernikov who are, you know, very outspoken Trump supporters as well in, in, in the city council. Can you talk to me a little more about, like, what you call the Trump surrogates? Who are they and what kind of, like, positions have they spread? 
Uh, sure. I mean, I would say, like, in particular, you know, would be Joe Borelli, who is, you know, during the, the presidential campaign was actually a formal Trump surrogate in the sense that he would go on, you know, TV and radio and, and sort of talk on behalf of Trump campaign writ large, you know, and has been, you know, proudly in that role for some time. So he's definitely someone who, you know, was, is, was close to the, uh, the former president and his team. Ina Vernikov was a new council member, and, you know, she actually had a, uh, a phone banking or a, a, a robocall that was recorded by Donald Trump Jr. and has been a big supporter of, you know, the presidential family as well. Uh, and, of course, Vicky Palladino, who's also a new council member, uh, and, you know, she's had squabbles with her colleagues in the city council over, for example, vaccination, where, you know, she has refused to acknowledge whether she is or isn't vaccinated and has received a an exemption and sort of was briefly prevented from even entering the council chambers because of that. Mm-hmm. Do you think this is something that New Yorkers should be concerned about? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of the, the members of the city council, of course, they're duly elected, you know, I mean, it, you know, people, I think, that feel strongly against them can organize it to have them defeated electorally. I think the more concerning thing is kind of the other groups that aren't necessarily electoral, you know, in New York, we don't have the issue that we have maybe in other states where you have people who are maybe election deniers winning, um, you know, offices where they actually oversee elections and things of that nature that are, I think, more immediately concerning in, in the sense that they might have more of kind of an actual impact on, you know, for example, elections or, you know, the, the running of, of public universities and things like that in, in other states here. It's quite not to that level, uh, not quite to that level, but we have, I think, a lot of, you know, a growing movement of, of kind of groups that are affiliated with this type of, um, you know, right-wing movement. So we have, we've had rallies with the Proud Boys and Identity Europa and things of that nature also happening around the city in a way that, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have imagined. You know, these are, can be violent groups, right? There are rallies that are organized to protest, for example, vaccine mandates. We actually, there was one counter-rally to a pro-vaccine rally that happened even this past weekend. Um, and so I think that that sort of thing is definitely concerning. Mm-hmm. You also talk about conspiracy theories. What kinds of policies have they affected or could affect? Well, I mean, I think the, the vaccination thing is a perfect example, right? I think there's, you know, as you're aware, as, well, as most of the listeners are probably aware, I mean, there are all these sort of conspiracies with regards to vaccines, you know, and this is nothing new per se, right? There have been for a long time these kind of false rumors that vaccines have something to do with autism. You know, more recently, you know, they've taken the form of, of saying that, you know, they change your DNA or that they're actually killing people or, or things like that, which is, you know, none of that is true. Um, but, you know, we're actually seeing some of the in, the downstream impact of that. For example, we've had a resurgence of polio in the, in the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, state health officials have expressed concern over the presence of polio virus in the wastewater, which would indicate that it's to some extent, I mean, not in a massive way, but spreading organically. Uh, which, you know, it's like one of those things that we have, you know, we basically have eradicated, right? So it's kind of crazy that it's making a comeback. And so, you know, it is having that kind of an impact already that we're seeing. So I think that the milieu can have a real impact on, on people. And what can be done to combat this? Is there anything that the Democratic Party should be doing or anything they haven't done? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, a lot of folks certainly feel that the Democratic Party sometimes phones it in when it comes to New York to a certain extent, right? It's like there's kind of this 
understanding uh, that they're probably going to win anyway. They don't really have to work that hard, you know. And there's a lot of kind of infighting that's happening. You know, the Brooklyn Democratic Party is a good example where for months now they've they've basically been locked in a you know internal war over control of the party. And you know, once you're you're spending all your energy on that kind of thing, it gets much harder to actually focus on reaching voters. And so I think voters sometimes see that and get disillusioned, right? They're like, you know, these people are all just vying for power or whatever. I think, you know, I've written before too about there's like certain demographies in the city that I feel, you know, sometimes feel disempowered. The, you know, the Latino community, uh, the Asian community, sometimes if their needs were ignored or left behind by the party. And so I think that, you know, if you don't address that, you leave an opening for people to, you know, find, you know, their, their, their political community elsewhere. And what about, you know, the average New Yorker? What advice would you give to them? Well, I mean, I think, like, you know, the best antidote often to these types of things is to have that, you know, have community. I think the the pandemic probably, you know, I mean, actually definitely worsened a lot of these trends because people were isolated and scared and angry and, you know, they turned to you know, online communities in the absence of real physical communities in the, in the actual, you know, in the real world. And, the, you know, there's a lot of people that I think derive a lot of, you know, joy and, and fulfillment from online communities. It's not to disparage them as a whole, right? There's a lot of, you know, people that find each other online and, and you know, share interests and stuff, and that's all well and good. But I think that, you know, in, in the city itself in particular, you know, there's such an opportunity to build connections with people in your neighborhood with all these sorts of things and sort of intervene, right? And, and not from a place of, you know, anger necessarily, right? That's not very effective in, in terms of countering, you know, this, this kind of thinking, but saying, you know, you know, you and I have known each other for a long time and, you know, I just think that you should check out these other sources and, like, have you really analyzed, you know, the source of this information you're hearing and not just, you know, nod and, and walk away, right? Like, you know, you have an ability, I think, to intervene with the people that to some extent trust you and who you see often. Um, uh, and so, you know, for, for the average person, that's kind of what I would recommend, right? You know, if you see someone getting kind of sucked in, it's not about waiting for someone to take action. Uh, it's about, you know, I guess doing your part to, to kind of help people come back from that precipice, right, before they get kind of really, you know, down the rabbit hole and then do so with support and, and community and all these sorts of As Felipe said, it's important that we pay attention to what's happening in the thousands of tiny communities that make up New York City. While you may not always be able to directly influence politics, you can influence yourself, your family, and others around you. You can also demand more from our elected leadership and vote. Election Day is Tuesday, November 8th, and the polls are open from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. Before we go, our new weekly update on monkeypox vaccine in New York City. Make sure to tune in for the latest information on vaccines, testing, care options, and much more. Hi, I'm Sam Zacker, back with this week's New York City MPV update. Last week, we went over some good news, that MPV cases across New York City and the country have been decreasing. Still, New York City Health Commissioner Ashwin Vossen says we cannot yet declare victory. On that note, today, I'll be going over how to clean safely if you do have the virus. First, wear disposable gloves if you touch your rash or sores. Remember to throw them out and wash your hands after using them. Next, if you touch anything that may have had contact with a rash or sores or fluid from the sores, make sure to wash or sanitize your hands. 
To clean surfaces, use standard household cleaners and disinfectants. And wash dirty dishes and utensils with warm water and soap or in a dishwasher. To wash linens, towels, and clothes, put them in a separate laundry bag or garbage bag. Finally, make sure to put gauze, bandages, and other medical waste in a tight waterproof plastic bag, double bagged if possible, and throw it out in your regular trash. For more advice on how to stay safe, you can visit the New York City Department of Health website or click the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening. Join us weekly for more news and information on MPV in New York City. Keep in mind that things are changing quickly, so if you have any specific questions or, again, need help making a vaccine appointment, reach out to us directly at vaccine at epicenter-nyc.com or call 917-818-2690. For more ways to get involved in your community, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. And if you're not already a member, sign up today by using the link in our show notes. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.